Welcome to the Impact Leadership Podcast brought to you by Cardavera, the leadership development ecosystem that helps you grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. We're back with special guest Justin Jones Fosu. This is episode number 30, and the title of today's program is The Moving Walkway, Strategies for Creating Diverse and Inclusive Teams, Organizations, and Lives. Do you want to have a diverse and inclusive team and culture? Have you struggled with creating that diverse culture despite your best intentions? Would you like to know what some of the obstacles are that are keeping you from that objective? Are you looking for ways to achieve your diversity and inclusion objectives? This is the episode for you with special guest Justin Jones Fosu, who's answering these questions and many others as we explore the path to building diverse and inclusive teams, cultures, and lives. And make sure to listen to the end as Justin shares his analogy from the moving walkway of life and leadership and helps us better understand the different roles you and all of us can play in creating real change in our teams, in our organizations, and in our world. Get ready to be uncomfortable and get ready to be part of the change. podcast where we explore leadership business and personal growth to help you grow your business and live a richer life we're your hosts jeff dishwitz and craig matthews we believe that leaders have to put their people first and if you don't have time to grow your people then you're not leading get ready for conversations that will challenge your thinking and help you transform your leadership and your business welcome to your bigger business and bigger life it's great to be back in studio with Justin Jones Fosu, good friend, fellow speaker, author. I'll call you a disruptor, <laughs> rhythm maker. There you go. Yes. All sorts of amazing things, amazing impact. And we're back in studio. We had Justin recently to talk about the idea of meaningful work and working meaningfully and finding your why and talking about getting people engaged in work, but by allowing them. To be who they are. But today we're going to talk about a slightly different topic. Justin has a lot of experience with diversity and inclusion, and we're here right in the middle of, you know, probably the greatest racial and social unrest in this country, in the United States, since the 1960s. Mm. And we want to talk mm. today about diversity, inclusion, what it looks like in the workplace. And, but this is not just about work but it is a work issue. And so thanks for being here, yeah. Justin. And I'm actually excited to have this conversation. Yeah, thanks for being here. I am glad to be back for these critical conversations. <laughs> yes. I think there's a lot of businesses out there and leaders who say they want to have a more diverse team. Yes. And there's a lot of ways we can look at difference. I mean, I'm certainly very holistic in that. This can be about color. It can be about belief systems. It can be about communication language. It can be life experiences. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the reality is right now and for, for a long time, we have not generally had diverse organizations in this country when it comes to color. Mm. Yeah. That's a reality. And despite yes. all this stated desire to change it, I don't see it changing much. So talk mm. about what, what's in the way of the change that people say they want. Yeah, so that's a really good question. And um, I like how you framed it because a lot of people get it wrong in this sense. 
even during some of the recent primary elections, you heard people say, oh, you know, Iowa and New Hampshire are not diverse states. But when we get to um, Arizona, when we get to South Carolina, those are diverse states. And, and oftentimes I tell people, use the prefix. Use the prefix. The diverse does not mean race alone, all right? <laughs> it's a type. And so if we're talking about gender diversity, say it's mm. not gender diverse or if it's not ethnically or racially diverse. So thank you for doing that. You set that up perfectly. Yeah, we have women question, and men in North Carolina. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and some that don't identify as either, right? So let's, let's dive in, right? Yeah. And so, you know, so one of the things that's intriguing for me and the question I asked back, to CEOs is I don't want to actually hear, or leaders, I don't want to hear about your organization. Tell me about your personal life. Mm. That's the first question I want to know. Oh, so good. Because there's an opportunity that it might just be short-lived, but if you don't live in community with, if you don't have friends mm. who are that difference that you're seeking to bring into your organization, uh, if you're not being mentored by, if you're, or if you don't have a meaningful relationships with people who have that specific difference. And so if we're talking about race, dive into the race piece, then it's going to be harder for you to have a long lasting strategy within your workplace mm. because you're not seeing the heartfelt need of it because you know that this is somebody that you love and value and the pain that they may feel because of the meaningful conversations you have you may carry that over into some of the conversations of your employees or potential employees or prospects and what that means for them. So the first question I always ask is tell me about your personal life. Who are you going to dinner with? Who are you going to lunch with? Mm. Who are you sometimes taking vacations with? Who are you golfing with? Those are the deeper questions for me before we start talking about demographics and numbers and what your company or organization looks like or your team makeup. So that's the number one thing for me personally. It has to be a heartfelt personal thing, right? And so people are often uncomfortable, especially leaders, because they've built themselves, unfortunately, like, and we say this, we've built themselves on being super knowledgeable about what they do or great influencers. And it's hard when we put ourselves in moments of great vulnerability. It's hard when we have to admit that we're ignorant at something or that we don't know. So we rather imprison ourselves in our circles of comfort. And so how do we get out of this? What do we do? How, how does that leader actually take action in that area, right? Starting with we're personal before we even get to the company. And that's in what I call the six-month challenge. Now, the six-month challenge for me, years ago I started this just for myself personally. It's the way to cultivate more of a growth mindset. And every six months, I either go to an event, I engage with something or someone, either which I disagree or I don't know a lot about. Hmm. And I intentionally go, and I remember one of the more meaningful so six-month challenges that I had was uh, going to a mosque to hear a Quranic scholar speak about some of the issues of that day. Now, I had heard things I'd never heard before. I had experienced, I was like, oh my gosh, now, I didn't walk out of there now Muslim. And there right. were still several things that I disagreed with, but you know what it allowed me to do? It allowed me to see people's humanity mm. and it enlarged my circles. And so I began asking questions. I lived in Mississippi in a townhome community with uh, many people who are from Saudi Arabia. And I began asking questions, but this is one of my mantras in life. I think all people should do this, but especially leaders, 
that we should seek to be more interested mm. than interesting. Yes. And as we're more interested in other people, asking the questions. So I began to do that in my own community. And I started asking questions about their family and life and like, what's it like growing up Muslim in America? And I learned that not everybody from Saudi Arabia is Muslim, right? I learned so <laughs> many things that were so phenomenal, but it's because I took the chance to have that challenge and to learn more about a population that I didn't know. Now, tell you about my current one. I'm really on the cusp of doing for these next six months. A lot of people are going to disagree with this. It's going to be controversial. But I think my six months challenge upcoming are going to be police officers hmm. are going to be learning and hearing. And I started already. One of my buddies I did a ride along with, I hit him up. Like, I just asked, how are you doing? Hmm. Like, what's your perspective? And this is a guy who I know we have a relationship with a, a black police officer. I just really like this guy. And I just, I said, I just want to spend some time just listening and learning and hearing his perspective. He said some things. I was like, you know what? I never thought about that. That was awesome. And so we all have to challenge ourselves to not just operate in the circles that we already agree with or that we're super knowledgeable of, but to challenge ourselves to step outside those circles, to enlarge it in meaningful relationships and exposure. And so that's the number one thing I would say to leaders. Wow. So I just, love the idea of the six-month challenge. I do too. I, I think I remember you saying it before. I'm going to give some very intentional thought to that. And I want to ask you a question, Justin, because this is, I'm going to be vulnerable here because this is one of my questions. Yeah. And I'm guessing a lot of people have it as well. I've noticed recently I've been more intentional at seeking to meet people who are different from me, in particular, yeah. racially different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been intentional. And there's a voice in me that says there's something, I feel like I'm doing something wrong. Mm. Yeah. I do. I'm like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. This is, but I know that I'm genuine in it, yeah. and I'm also aware just in the last year since I moved, right before I moved down to Florida last year, I happened to do some research and found out, and I sort of had seen it, that the community I lived in in Cleveland, Ohio, was the least diverse community of Cleveland in terms of racial diversity. It was like 99% white. And if you look at my experience living there, I only lived there a couple of years. I go, well, that makes sense. Mm. I know I didn't consciously choose that. I believe yeah. somewhere in there I unconsciously chose it because it's a comfort zone. It's what I'm used to. It's how I had lived my whole life. You know, and I picked it for reasons that wasn't about that, but it probably was about that. Yeah. And so when I moved to Tampa, the apartment complex I moved into, I remember the first time I went to the pool, I said, this is so amazing because everybody's different from me here. Mm. And I thought, this is not, I'm not going to have to work hard to be around people different from me in terms of race. And then I got out into Tampa and went, oh, yes, it's really difficult because everywhere I went, everybody looked like me. And so yeah. I've realized in order for me to change the dynamic, I have to make different choices. And when I make those different choices, there's a voice that says, is that wrong? Yeah. Wow, I just can't imagine being around a whole community of six foot four white guys with bald heads. <laughs> you'd be shot. You'd be amazed at how much how popular we are. What I love about that, thank you first and foremost for your vulnerability. I love about that is that's the question a lot of us face, and, and that we feel. I mean, even in my six month challenges, like I go into these places, like 
Like, what are they going to perceive me as? And, and I really do believe it's all an approach. Mm-hmm. And knowing you, you approach it the right way. I don't go in, and I've seen some people try to do this. You don't go in and act like, well, yeah, I, I know a lot about such and such, but can, can you tell me, I mean, you know, can you tell me a little bit about this, right? Um, or like we are, we're affirming because we're, we're really trying to show, we're really trying to prove that we already know, right? And you see this happen in all, all, you know, in just in regular conversations, even in organizations where I first, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. Oh, yeah, 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 I've read that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. And, and, and really the person's like, okay, well, why'd you ask me that? <laughs> you know? But we go because I was supposed to posture, right? I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. It's, it's a six month <laughs> challenge, right? But when we go into it with the posture of, hey, uh, I'm, I'm about to do something that uh, is a little uncomfortable for me. <laughs> I, I want to first ask and this is what I'll usually address. I'm like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to say some stuff that might be sound, maybe stupid, maybe ignorant. And I'm so sorry for doing this. <laughs> but I want to learn. And I feel like this is one of the ways I want to learn. If, you, if you're not comfortable sharing with me or don't want to, I'm perfectly fine with that. Mm. But would you tell me more about blank? So one, I've given that person permission to say, actually, no, I don't want to, because it's just, there's also times for me where I have fatigue, where I don't want to talk about race, where I just yeah. want to have relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's times where I'm open to dive into it. But I also give that person permission to say, you know what, how this person approached me, like, I want to help them. And majority of people actually want to help others. Yeah. Where we run into the issue and problem of right now, and this is what I encourage people, is um, it's better to start off, if possible, with relationship before diving into race. Yes. And the reason that that's valuable is because a lot of people just want to, like, I'm a person, right? Like, I know I'm a, <laughs> a, 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 I'm a black person, but, like, you know, I, I'm just not talking about black things all day long, yeah. right? I'm looking through the lens of who I am and I'm very proud of my identity, but like, I'm also I like this, I like golf. I like So being able to have conversation and build relationship. And that's why, that's why I focus in on my circles of grace that enlarging our circles has to be meaningful relationships because we want to be able to come back to that place of trust where when you say something, I can say, tell me more. And I believe that you had the best intentions with what you said versus something that is, uh, may come across as offensive or ignorant or other things. And so, um, so that voice is helpful. It also says to me that you care. And that's why I love that voice, that you're not doing it flippantly, but you're going into it with a posture of humility and vulnerability. And so one is the approach that's so important. But two, giving that person permission, and not, you're not giving it to them, but you're creating the space for them to easily say, hey, I, at this time, I'm, I just don't have it in me. <laughs> I, I can't talk about what's happening in society right now. Or they may say, you know what? Thank you for asking. Let's dive into it. And mm-hmm. people are on different sides of the spectrum, depending on where they are. And what I mean by that is like, I have a lot of black friends who some people are in a place that they're saying like, man, nobody from my organization has even asked me about how I feel about really? what's going on right now in society. And then I have others that everybody's asking how I feel and I'm done talking about it, right? <laughs> so you, <laughs> so you, you have to go into it realizing that people might be on different places of that spectrum yeah. of where they want to talk about it or not want to talk about it. And it may be at different times, but it's still important to engage. Because guess what? People will remember. You'd never ask. Right. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. 
The Impact Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Cartavera. Cartavera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, resources, events, and a community to help you grow. At Cartavera, we believe that you can't grow a business bigger than you, that your company is limited by your growth. We blend personal growth with leadership, team, and business growth to give you a single place to grow your people, grow your business, and grow your life. You can find out more at cartavera.com. Welcome back. Well, I love what you said there because, in fact, I had lunch yesterday with a friend of mine who's an HR leader, and she was feeling a little bad, and I said, don't feel bad about it. You know, you did it. You just, she was saying she wished she'd done it sooner because her team, her team is four people, including herself. And it is herself who's white, another woman who is white in her 50s, and then two women who are both black. What she was talking about is she got them together and said, just what you said, how are you doing? And they were like, God, thank you for asking. Mm. Thank you for asking. And she, all she did was listen. And she said, look, I'm here to listen. Yeah. I have no expectation of you. And the only thing she felt bad about is said, I, I wish I'd asked them sooner. Mm-hmm. A month yeah. ago, how are they doing? But it took me a couple of weeks before I said, oh, I'm just going to ask them how they're doing. Yeah. And they can share or not share. Yes. I love it. It's, just an, it's an opening. Yes. Since here it is. To me, I'm, when you said I was envisioning this open hand, I have no expectation. Yeah. I have no attachment. Mm-hmm. This isn't really for me. And I'm not trying to get anything out of it. I'm not trying to prove yeah. a point. I'm right. not trying to get, I'm not trying to check a box and I'm not trying to get your approval. I'm just here and checking in on you. Yeah. This conversation started off, you were sharing when you're working with a leader in an organization and the first place you start is take a look at your personal life. What's your yes. personal life look like? Where is the difference in inclusion in your personal life? And here's some ideas on changing it. I, I'm guessing there's a next step in that conversation. Yes. So tell us yeah. about that. Uh, Yeah. So after the personal life conversation, it's great to take first inventory of where you are, right? So uh, in the the consulting world, we do this thing called the four stage analysis model. And one of the things in four stage analysis model, I just simply called the four questions because it sounds simpler. Uh, We ask four questions. And the first question is, where am I now? You can use we, but where, where am I now? Or where are we now? Right. Second question is, where do we want to be? Mm -hmm. The third question is, what are the barriers preventing us from getting there? And the fourth question is, how can those barriers be removed? Right. So walking through those, you know, done a lot of board retreats and stuff like that, where we literally can spend a whole day on just where are we now? Cause people don't agree. Right. So the first step <laughs> <Right>. is, <laughs> is taking stock in where you are currently looking at the research, looking, talking, looking at the demographics, also asking where are our primary focus because sometimes I often see that some of the companies organizations fail because they try to do too much for everything. But you have to ask the questions in terms of who our customers and clientele are, who we want to grow in, and what are our one to three focal points around diversity and inclusion from a Mac micro perspective. Right? And what I mean by that, you may say, hey, like we really want to focus in on ability, we want to focus in on race, and we want to focus in on sexuality, or we want to well, whatever those focus points is, because you can't do everything for everybody, but you can make meaningful progress in certain areas while still saying, hey, we're going to learn about this. We're going to try to create as much of an inclusive environment as possible. So where are we now is the next best step. It's identifying what your organization looks like, asking the questions for the underserved people 
within your organization. So the people that you don't see at the table and asking the questions, why don't, why aren't they at the table? And asking people about them, like, hey, why aren't you at the table, <laughs> right? Why do you think, right? Asking external people, why is it not there? But you have to be able to take stock there and doing what you said. I love what you said about this. Just listening, hearing what people are saying. That's the next step because it's before strategy, it's before doing, it's making sure that you're not operating in tokenism and all those other kind of things, but you have to take stock in where you currently are in order to fully identify where you want to go. So it's not a simple, yeah, we won't be able to accomplish this in a simple hour about all the things that a person or organization should do, but a really good first step is listening to the people in your organization, especially that may represent those underrepresented groups and hearing their perspective, doing the focus groups, asking the significant questions to find out how they feel, what they think, and that they know that you mean it, that you, that you really mean yep. it. And that's why, again, I keep coming back to relationship. Relationship is so key. Because if this is the first time you're meeting with them and asking them questions, they might be looking at you with a side eye like, if I, if I actually share what I honestly feel, will I be held accountable? Right. So, so that's wow. where, are we, where are we now with the first step? So what about the, the question, I know Jeff and I've talked about this before, where somebody in the organization is trying to promote this discussion, this dialogue, and the people in positional leadership, they're saying, we're not racist. This is the way we feel about this. And it pushes their agenda when it's clearly not what's reality. How yeah. do you get those people engaged in this discussion? <laughs> it's got to be from inside. <laughs> if we had the answer to that, uh, the, let, me, let me be uh, <laughs> let me be one hundred right now. Uh, that's what's been happening for a long time. Yeah, uh, people have had interest, passion, try to do it for the ground up, and it's been squashed. Mm. It, it hasn't been until there's unfortunately been external pressure. Okay, that some organizations are finally waking utilizing this moment as an opportunity to go forward. And so, as you all know, in leadership, you can't make anyone do anything. Right. <laughs> they won't. You know, you can't. And that's why I think that's why the personal piece is so vital first. You can continue as an influencer if you don't have the positional leadership Absolutely. Uh, and the impactor to have those conversations, to do and model the behavior that you want seen in leadership to encourage your team to lead and live by those examples. Uh, but you can't make the organization do a thing. And unfortunately, or fortunately, we've seen some places where organizations have had to change. Um, I'm a member of CrossFit. And recently, the CrossFit CEO resigned because of racist rhetoric, I'll call it. I'm not calling him a racist, but racist rhetoric and insensitive things during this time. And what we find is that some leadership has to go. and a lot of times it's external pressure. When it starts impacting dollars, unfortunately, people take notice. And that's why you see people who are asking questions like, hey, companies, what are you doing? Right? You know, even for me, like a big passion project for me, I hate to call it project, but passion area is prison reform. And like, I'm asking the questions of who are still the companies that are using convict labor mm. as part of their companies? And should we be supporting it? 
and they'll keep using it until there's a strong enough external pressure where it will change. So unfortunately, you can't change it. Sum it up. You can't change people. You can influence. You can ask questions. You can encourage. Um, You can also, this is one of the things that sometimes organizations don't do. If you have influence in other organizations or leaders that are parallel to that person, that they get it. If there's an opportunity to make introductions and not say, hey, you all need to talk about this, but to tell the person that you're like, that you're talking to, like right. making introductions just a peer to peer, because often there's a pride thing that comes in for some leaders is that I just can't do what my subordinate has said for me to do. But they'll hear it. They'll hear it from a peer. Yeah. Um, and that's why there, you see some, there's some peer networks um, I'll, I'll make sure you all have it so you can put in the notes that are like Fortune 1000 company CEOs that have come together and have committed to doing four things um, around diversity and inclusion that are meaningful impacts. And they together and they're putting their mind, their dollars, and their intentionality um, where their heart is. I learned about this from the Hartford and doing work with them around diversity and inclusion. Um, their CEO is a really big component of this. And so you're seeing a lot of uh, CEOs that are starting to do that. So sometimes it's saying, hey, this might be good for you to be a part of. <laughs> and then sometimes they're influenced by other peers okay. that uh, could help as well. Gotcha. So Justin, one of the things, Craig's question to me is one of the obstacles to really having a diverse and inclusive culture is someone saying, I don't even believe it's an issue. I don't even see the issue. But what are some of the other big issues you see that you said one of the questions is what are the obstacles? Because I'm a believer that the best way to create change is to remove obstacles. Yeah. Versus trying to create a new solution. So what are the obstacles you see for companies that at least say they want to create a more diverse and inclusive environment that's keeping that from happening? Uh. <laughs> It's something as simple as our own personal lives. We rush to action before we truly authentically listen. Mm-hmm. That's a big obstacle. Everybody like, I, I'm not a big fan of the, the big statements. Like there's some people who want a statement. And again, is a wide variety of spectrums. But I'm like, I don't want a statement if it doesn't mean anything to you. Just so you can say I writ, wrote a statement. A lot of people write mission statements and don't like people like, oh, that's good artwork. And don't do anything. <laughs> like the company doesn't work, operate by that. And so we're seeing, and I saw a lot of statements. I'd much rather a person say, hey, you know what? We're taking that. And I actually gave this to uh, an organization, a company who was struggling with like, what do we say? And I was like, you know what your best statement is? Hey, we don't want to put out a meaningless statement. We're going <laughs> to take six months to actually research and to listen and to hear and in six months, we'll come back and report back what we heard in our actions for it. That's a powerful statement. Mm. Because that says I'm not just reacting to what's happening in the pressures from society, but I actually want to do and have meaningful action. Yeah. And so what do you do? How do you get people to this place where they want to engage and do meaningful work and meaningful action in this area? And it all comes around to really listening first, to mm-hmm. hearing the people, to doing the focus groups, to um, asking the questions from outside, from having a company come in and do work within 
just so that you can first hear. Because when we don't hear what the real issues are, our actions can, can often be off and yeah. be seen as tokenism or reactionary and not meaningful. You know why Ben and Jerry's statement was so dope? <laughs> it's because people knew that Ben and Jerry had been in the game before they put out their statement. Right. That's why it was so dope. Right? And so that's where I think one really big obstacle is that they're not taking time to listen. And so how do we do that? Right? How can we practically listen? Especially when we don't realize issues are there. Again, I come back to action. It's great to say this is what you do, but an action component. There are two ways I say about this. One is what I call the right-hand paradigm. So let me ask both Craig and, and, and Jeff, all right-handed or left-handed? Right. Right-handed. Okay, Awesome. So like I often like uh, a really quick story. I was doing this, this uh, little the tour. I was in the South and in a store. I had this guy yell at the top of his lungs. He's like, these doors are made for left-handed people. Right. And I'm like, my first reaction is why is this guy yelling at the top of his lungs? And then my second thought process was like, what is he talking about? Doors are made for left or right-handed people. Right. But what it looked like, it caught my attention enough that it was one of those hot, the hot dog spinner things. And the left side of the door opened into the refrigerator. So it looked like he had his hand, which is why he yelled. But the right door opened into nothing, right? And so it caught my attention. So I started doing research on left-handed people. And I learned that left-handed people lived a whole different life than I did, right? <laughs> I learned that for back in the day when they had to get to school early to get any of the left-handed desks, if there were any, I learned that scissors that they say are multi-handed are still made for right-handed people. I learned that some people learned that being left-handed was a curse. I learned that my dinner colleagues would get to dinner meetings early so they could sit on the edge so they weren't bumping into a person who's right-handed. I learned that spiral notebooks were the bane of left-handed people's existence. Now, I had no idea. It didn't make me a left-handed bigot, right? It didn't mean I didn't like being right-handed, right? I'm proud to be right-handed, right? What it allowed me to do was realize I had a luxury to mm. not have to see it because I lived in a society that catered to my right-handedness. Wow. And if I, once my eyes were open and I took the time to listen and research and understand, now I have a possibility of becoming an ally or taking steps towards allyship, where if I'm leading a workshop and I'm assigning seats, I notice somebody, now I look for this, I know somebody might be left-handed, I come up to them and say, hey, would you prefer I put you on the edge and notice you're left-handed. And the times when I've done that, they were like, wow, thank you so much. Like nobody does that. <laughs> but I first had to listen and to hear and to see and to research before I was able to take meaningful action and to be what I call an ally for me to recognize the luxury I had to not have to see it. Wow. That's using our privilege for good. And that's what organizations and leaders can begin to do. Because like you said, sometimes we don't see it because we're not listening. That's a great analogy. So, Justin, you've shared a lot of really interesting ideas, and they're challenging ideas. And they're not, in my opinion, they're not challenging personally. It's just, it's a challenging question. And my question to you is leaders who are listening, and wherever they are, this is not about position. Anybody who has leadership potential, and Craig and I believe that's everybody, what's the one thing? that you would tell them in this moment, in this time, to focus on, to be a part of the change? Hmm. Oh. 
uh, I'm going to apply this to race because of what's happening right now, but this can yeah. be applied to many other things. Uh, and I, I give you a real quick uh, analogy of the moving walkway. This was first given by, I think, the president of Spelman University, and I've adapted it a little bit. She used it to talk about privilege. But I'm going to talk about racism. And what I've, I've identified is that there are four different types as it relates to racism. There is the racist. There is the unconscious non-racist. There is the conscious non-racist. And then there is the anti-racist. So let me give you the moving walkway. Uh, if you've ever been in an airport, one of the most interesting things is the moving walkway. It's a very <laughs> fascinating thing to watch people, right? You know, we're, we're aggravated at the people who are stopped, period. But we're aggravated at people who take the whole walkway. <laughs> and so to give the analogy, racists are guarding the walkway, right? So generally what we find is we find that white men specifically, but white people are on the moving walkway, right? Um, and generally black people are walking the normal carpet. <laughs> and so when you hear people say you have to walk twice as fast or hard just to even be able to keep up, right? And so what happens is that some people get conscious about it and they're like, you know what? This is not fair. I'm not walking. But the walkway systems in our society are still moving you forward, mm. even if you stop walking. And so what we find is these four different types of people. You have the racists who are guarding the walkway and like nobody else except our race is getting on this walkway. We're not going to let it happen. And you see that in all different walks and types in the society. Then you have the conscious racist, a conscious non-racist, excuse me, who they're like, you know what? I'm not walking anymore, right? But they're still being moved forward by the systems and things in place. Then you have the unconscious non-racist that are like, well, I'm, I'm, this is a moving walkway. I'm still going to walk forward. <laughs> like, why do I should, why should I stop? Right? Like what's, this is a moving walkway. I flight, right? Move off the way you, you, you conscious, not racist. Right. But then you have the anti-racist and this looks most challenging because these are people who are going the exact opposite way of the walkway. And people are looking at them like, what in the world are you doing? Why aren't you going forward? I mean, just think about it. If you were at an airport, and we've seen this with little kids normally who are doing this, right? Is that they're going the opposite way and we think it's cute, but let an adult do it. <laughs> and we're like, why are you going the opposite way? But that's what it looks like to truly, truly serve the underrepresented groups in your organization and your community. Wow. Where people will look at you like, what in the world are you doing? Why are you going the opposite way? Why aren't you taking advantage of the moving walkway that's helping you to move forward? The anti-racist is going off the walkway to bring other people on the walkway. And that's where as great leaders, positional or not, we have the opportunity to not allow looking dumb, looking stupid, looking like we're not walking the right way, away according to everybody else that allows us to be more vulnerable and open and to bring other people onto the walkway with us. That's what I would say to leaders. Don't be afraid to be uncomfortable and for people to look at you like what in the world are you doing? Because we need that in today's society and time. Thank you. That I've had a lot of metaphors before and I haven't had that one. And that was a huge gift to me. And to me, it's a gift to everybody who's listening. I will share it. 
and more importantly, I'm going to look for ways to catch myself mm-hmm. in all those stages because I know I can do yeah. all of those. Yeah. And to look for those opportunities and dis- not the opportunities, but to decide to turn. Privilege is not bad. It's how you use your privilege. Mm, yeah. Because all of us have privilege in certain ways and areas. Yeah. There's some systemic things that have happened in our society that don't allow us to have the same type of privilege. Mm. But uh, it's not bad. It's how you use it. So there's a moving walkway. Let's use it. <laughs> so let's bring other people with us. Gotcha. Yeah. Thank you so much, thanks. Justin. Yeah, thanks for everything. Thanks for being here, buddy. No problem. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, you'll love the Cartevera Tribe. The Cartevera Tribe is a community of growth-committed leaders who want to connect, engage, and grow themselves, their people, and their businesses. Cartevera is a leadership development ecosystem with training, coaching, assessments, and events to challenge you and help you grow. And the Cartevera Tribe is a membership like none other. You'll get live access to Craig and Jeff where you can ask questions, as well as masterminds where you can get answers from other leaders who've already solved your greatest challenges. You'll have access to additional interviews and a variety of courses, tools, and resources to help you achieve your biggest goals. We have monthly game days where we have challenges and competitive games to help you grow your leadership capabilities. And you'll get a personal growth Sherpa who will guide you to help you reach your growth goals. To find out more, go to cartavera.com. That's C-A-R-D-I-V-E-R-A.com. See you on the inside. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.